Wave Act, the web-free software company that understands what you want. Hi everyone, welcome at Wave Act. Today with Ole Lehmann, who is the founder of Finstar Limited. He is also derivatives trader and formerly music producer. And today we're going to talk about an amazing, super interesting topic, the shitcoin Bible. <laughs> Why do they exist and how are they created? Thank you for being here, Ole. It's a pleasure having you on. And starting out, I would love to give you a little bit of opportunity to explain yourself. What are you all about? How does your day look like? And what are you working on? Yeah. Hey, hey everyone. Thanks for having me. I um, really appreciate it. Yeah. So what does my day look like? Um, in general, I would just explain myself as a curiosity maximalist. So I'm basically all about learning. And uh, that's something that's kind of, um, yeah, it's like the, the silver lining through my life, I would say. So I'm super passionate about Web3, obviously, super passionate about trading, about crypto, um, but also about house music, about techno, about community-based products, even community-based products outside of Web3. It's also something I'm very interested in. And uh, yeah, I'm also a big advocate for psychedelic research and for like microdosing psychedelics. So I, I have a kind of a wide range of uh, interests of topics, but I would say, yeah, the common denominator really is that I'm yeah, what I call myself curiosity maximalist. I'm just trying to learn uh, something new every day. And that's basically what I'm all about. Awesome. So basically perfect for crypto, which is all basically yeah. over the place as well. That's awesome. There was a, there was a really uh, complicated explanation of seeing I'm just a degenerate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, being a degenerate in the space is probably not the, the worst thing to be. So yeah. definitely. Awesome. Yeah. And what are you currently working on? Would love to know. Um, so I've been like training a lot in the past, but this is, yeah, I'm trying to do this less and less and I'm mainly focusing on uh, building my podcast at the moment, which is called Wallets in Wunderland. It's in, um, in German at the moment, but I'm probably going to switch it up to English soon. So I'm working on educating people about Web3, but also about yeah, topics around entrepreneurship, about how to focus better, like the typical tech bro stuff, you know, um, that's mm -hmm. uh, what I'm focusing on at the moment to really create a lot of content. And I can also see myself um, doing a startup in the Web3 space, but it's still behind the curtains. So um, I'm working on something, but it's it's not that far that I, I can share at the moment, but something's coming. Well, I assume you need to tell me afterwards. So that's just yeah. A... <laughs> um, yeah, awesome, super interesting. Um, since we want to talk about shit coins today, I could, <clears throat> sorry, I, I could um, assume that there are some people out there that might have heard of it, but are not absolutely sure what is it at all. Would yeah. like to bring some light onto this. Yeah, so basically I would say a shitcoin, like what is a shitcoin? That's the question, right? So I was thinking about that and for me it's a shitcoin for me is a coin which only utility is to pump. So basically everything is everything is like optimized for the for the pump, right? So everything the team does, everything the team says, everything in the marketing, it's just meant to push the price up. So the price is in the, is, is the focus of everything basically. So there are shit coins, which have like, which I would call shit coins, which have like billions of market cap, 
but there are also shit coins with like 10k market cap right so that you can't say it has to be like a smallish coin i think it's all about basically about the focus of the team what do they want is there any real utility or is it just fake utility to push the price up and um i think most shit coins also have a big focus on false claims and they always try to suck in new capital and um, marketing is like at the core of everything and the marketing is often aimed towards like promising things in the future it's it's rarely oh we are already built this crazy DeFi product which has a lot of utility and like something innovative but it's most of the time it's you know oh it's something in the future you know jump into the spaceship with us and uh, you know go to the moon and everything's going to change but then you know surprise surprise uh, nothing really changes and a lot of coins change hands so shit coins but you can learn a, a lot of things from shit coins which is super interesting you know you can you can learn a lot from a ponzi basically um because they also do a lot of things right most of the time so i see a lot of crypto or web3 projects i'm trying to do marketing but they don't understand how to communicate with the audience and they don't understand how to create hype. So if you're out there and you want to build a legit project, I think sometimes looking at like what people call shit coins is a good idea actually to see like what is the, if you pull the marketing knob from, you know, zero to 11, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you can, you can always learn something from uh, shit coins as well. That was a long answer, but I hope it answered it. I love it. Um, so as some people used to say, uh, the so-called pumpamentals. Right? The pumpamentals, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The pumpamentals have to be have to be right. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, your definition to wrap it up in general, shitcoins are basically just token projects that don't have the intention to actually build something. Yeah. Let's say useful or anything at all, right? Yeah. Um, so the main question that some people might now have, why did some people or so many people actually buy them and why mm -hmm. possibly if so, did you buy them? Um, why did I buy shitcoins? You know, I, to be honest, why did I buy shitcoins to make money? That's basically it. I think it's, I, I see the shitcoin market as a like decentralized 24 seven casino, basically. It's a casino, but I think if you play it right, it's a casino with better odds than just going to the casino and just gambling uh, straight away. So I bought shit coins because I, I saw kind of a movement happening. And I think that's a basic, I mean, shit coins have been around for a long time. I think if I, I've actually read some articles about the first shit coins, which were called like world coin, I think, uh, and feather coin like back in like two fifteen or 16 or something like that. Um, but especially in 220 and 221, I mean, we had this crazy injection of capital into the markets because uh, the quantitative easing, if, um, if your listeners don't know what quantitative easing is, basically, basically it was just the Fed printing money. So the Fed, Federal Reserve was printing money. Everyone was getting stimulus checks. People had capital at hand, so they were sitting at home. A lockdown, nothing to do. And like what, I mean, what to do with your time? Then gamble on shitcoins, right? So... I think there was a huge um, influx of new players in the market and a lot of new uneducated members in the market. And I already had experience as a trader. So I would say I'm able to do like 
rather okay technical analysis at least I think I'm not working at Goldman Sachs or anything but I can do some of it and I think I had an edge in this market because most of the players they they didn't know anything right so they just went to to Reddit or to TikTok and they heard about a coin and they bought it yeah. and um I was charting them and it it was it wasn't even easy in the beginning to chart them because most of the most of the chains like Binance Smart Chains they didn't have any uh, tools to chart the coins and I remember the the first days um this the chain was so overloaded that all the validators went now went down and you kept, couldn't chart them and they, everything was in the dark and so you had to I had to track it on a google sheet with the prices so it it was crazy times so Basically, like there it. was a lot of a lot of new capital in the market, and I think I had an edge, and I also had risk management, so I knew, I knew a little bit like how how I can play it without risking too much, but still capturing the upside, and I already had kind of a playbook, how to, um, how to basically find new projects and which ones to to trust more or trust less, so we can talk about that later. So I kind of. I think worked out a, a playbook for myself, which worked uh, pretty decently. Uh, that that's super interesting. So basically, I would also say risk management is one of the most. Also, I'm not yeah, a full time trader, 100%. but yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, just don't buy in a big green candle. <laughs> it depends on the green candle, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, super interesting, super awesome. Um, I would love to know now, usually there is some sort of a life cycle. When we look at the token project, they all are different in some kind of sense, right? But what I have seen is that many of them repeat pat uh, patterns that have, you, uh, that have worked for other projects or even just have worked in the last couple of weeks and that might be a new trend and they try that out. Yeah. Um, when you participated as a trader in these kind of launches, um, how did you experience these kind of token launches from from your perspective? How did that go? Yeah, so like back in the day, I would say it was a little bit different. So in 220, you still had a chance to basically get on a whitelist if you were active or if you find a project really early. And also if you knew some people that were in other tokens early, um, or you, some people just would just go to a Discord or a Telegram group and create memes. And uh, like two years ago, it wasn't big of a thing. Now it's it's kind of commercialized, and people just do meme contests for a living, which is also super interesting to <laughs> think about. Um, but back in the back in the like two, back in 2020, you could go into the project and try to get on a whitelist. That could work. It was wasn't easy, but it wasn't as crowded as today. So I did that a couple of times. Um, but on the other hand, I also, I, I, I either try to be in very, very early. So you can do something like token sniffer. I use that. I think you can also um, just use deck screener now at the moment or deck suit. I think they also have like a, um, a tool where you can just, um, search for listings and you can see the liquidity. So sometimes I would just wait for new tokens to be listed that maybe resembled a name of a token, which was already pumping. So Let's say it's uh, um, it's Kevin Coin is pumping, you know, and and then then Baby Kevin Coin comes out and it has decent liquidity, and I would <laughs> just buy that, you know. It sounds stupid, but it you have these different ways how you can play this. So, but launches in general, um, to be honest, they are always kind of rigged. 
in shitcoins. I think they are also rigged in the general market. If you think about it, if you think about, you know, VCs having huge bags and they're up a hundred X and they're just, um, sending to basically exit liquidity of retail. Uh, it's the mm -hmm. same in shitcoins. So I think the, yeah, the kind of safer way always is to find a narrative and then wait for a copycat or find a narrative and look for the market leader and just wait for a dip and then you get in. So you don't have to get in at launch. And if you get, if you want to get in at the launch, it has to be a project with a kind of lower hype because if the hype is too high, you already, you just entering way too high and the upside is kind of capped. Uh, yeah, in, in general, um, I have bought some tokens at launch myself. And <clears throat> what I have experienced myself is if you are not in the whitelist, don't buy in the first couple of minutes because yeah. usually. <laughs> <laughs> also the bots, you know, they also have a lot of bots um, fucking up the launches and uh, you can just end up being the wick. It happened to me too. So this is not a, <laughs> <laughs> even if you try not to be the wick, sometimes you got to be the wick. Here we go. <laughs> bye bye money. Um, yeah, 100%. So basically, um, would be curious to see what you think about this. Um, for sure, um, for the audience here, what we talk about now, um, shitcoins and channel the space itself is heavily, you know, based on the market is heavily based on when did we do these things, right? For example, the meme contests yep. uh, might not work as well right now as they did one or two years ago, for example, if you participated in them. So back to the story, what I've experienced, for example, when the first dump comes and you believe it's a project that could go up again, you know, which happens usually in the first five minutes or so, five, 10 minutes then uh, or maybe in the first minutes <laughs> um then you buy there right um because the bots the first mini bots pos uh, possibly already sold are sold or the first people yeah. and uh, you have a good entry right you're not buying into a green candle it also helps a lot to be able to um, like watch ether scan even if it's on my like a novice level so i wouldn't consider myself you know i'm not a developer but um just learning about how to watch wallets and Etherscan and you can also use other tools really helps a lot. So for example, if we, if we looked at a launch and usually it'll be like three or four DGENs and sometimes, oh, the bot's buying and then you have the bot's wallet and you just watch the wallet and say, okay, the bot has sold all this position already. Um, then it's a little bit safer to get in. Like you said, it's uh, actually also a strategy, but also another thing, which is, I think, at least as important is to to go into the community and see um, how dedicated is the team. And you can judge this by certain measurements. It's like one thing is like, how active are they? Do they do a lot of voice chats? Can they answer the questions correctly? Also, it might sound stupid, but it's actually a thing like the quality of the memes they produce, because some projects, maybe they get like some cool 3D animations or they really think about the story of the coin, even if it's just a meme, you know? And then if you then mm -hmm. go back and think about what is a meme, a meme is just a means of communications be between humans, right? So it's all about storytelling. And sometimes I'm like, is a meme, meme count sounds always so, oh, there's nothing behind it, but you can, you can have a pretty sophisticated meme in terms of 
how well is the story written? Like how much thought was put into um, a meme coin? I recently uh, saw another coin. Maybe some people know it. It's called um, MRI. It's Marshall Rogan Eno. It, it had a, had a big pump a couple of a month ago, and it was a coin, or it still is a coin, um, that wanted to help fighters get paid in the UFC because there's this whole narrative. You know, Dana White of the UFC, he doesn't pay his fighters well, and they mm -hmm. were like, okay, we have this coin and it has a tax. So every time you sell or you buy, a ten percent of the of the transaction goes into their wallet and um, this money is saved and then given to fighters. So they would just send um, some fighters 10k per fight and they would just shout into the microphone, Master Rogan Eno, thank you for sponsoring me. And um, so they really had a narrative and then obviously the price went down again. But they, at the moment they are still building that now they have their own crypto fight league and they have their first fight now with some I would say decent fighters and that was interesting to me you know the team even though it was called a meme coin but now i'm like is it even a meme coin because there's so many crypto projects out there that never did anything in the real world right yeah. they're just building a product and we don't know if they if they use it so sometimes it's interesting to see those projects because they start as kind of a, a joke or an idea but then they turn into this real like community driven product and I already told you about, I'm super hyped about like community-based products in general. So basically what that means is you just take any community and you, you look for their needs and you just build a product really aimed towards a niche community. And mm -hmm. they just went for the, for the fighting community. And now they're building a product for the fighting community and like, okay, we just have our own league. You can bet on crypto. We have our own events. And then I'm like, it's, it's so interesting because in the beginning it was just the shit coin and it. Obviously, but now you have to think about back to our uh, description deck. If the own utility is to pump, but this is not true anymore, right? So this yeah. changed. In the beginning, it was probably to to have a narrative to pump, but actually now the team starts to deliver. So I think it's it's also an interesting interesting way of of really sometimes coming up with ideas for products as well. Obviously, there are legal implications, but it's a it's a yeah. good playground just to watch what people are doing. 100%. Um, yeah, in general, as you said, basically from our shitcoin, from based on our own definition now, to actually something maybe useful, right? And that's yeah. that's how it should be. Some kind of innovation in the space, even if it's small things like that, right? Just, you know, uh, sponsoring uh, some sports persons. So basically, um, that's how it should be. What you just beautifully said is uh, regulation is always a big topic. You can't just launch a security token out of the box. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> no, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good idea, probably. Um, so since that, you're super passionate about community-driven projects, and I'm so as well. Um, how did you see this community is growing right um mm -hmm. then and probably now because that might be incredibly different um for example last year with the bull market where there were less requirements from the community yeah. that you actually built things and now are uh, with the bear market and higher expectations yeah there's a huge difference 
So last year, there was only one thing I, I always called it is green candle marketing. It's the best marketing, the easiest one. That's also why I think um, Web3 and crypto spread so wide because they had tradable assets. And if you have tradable asset, it's and the asset goes up, you know, it's the best way to to market your product. Um, right now, obviously, um, the last couple of months were, were pretty different. But may, maybe if we look at how the coin I talked about grew the community, maybe we can com compare it to a project right now. So I think in the beginning, it often starts with the coin being launched. So we can talk about this um, kind of setup. So you launch the coin, obviously there's some hype around, oh, there's something new that some people come in and usually they do, you know, things like meme contests, have five best memes win, I don't know what, a hundred dollars worth of tokens or uh, invite contests. But invite contests, it's, it's a little spammy. People use mm -hmm. bots. So it's, I don't think that's, it's really a good way to, to grow a community. I think, and this answer may, might not satisfy people. <laughs> The best way to community is like just to really generally care about your community and think about how can how can you bring your community closer and how can you get them more committed because um i i recently read a really good book about community building if anyone's interested it's called uh, the business of belonging and he talks about like a commitment graph you know so if you have like a graph on how committed is someone and as the commitment goes up, the actions someone in the community is taking will go up exponentially, basically. So in the beginning, you can't ask for too much, right? So you, you maybe create rituals, like you have a, like a weekly fireside chat. You can ask the founders, it's Q&A, or you do like a Friday beer meetup and everyone's opening a beer and um, you know just telling stories. I think a community is all about rituals and you, you have to think about it more as a tribe. I think because humans, we know mm -hmm. we are, we come from tribalism and I don't mean it in a, in a, like a negative way. It's, it's, it's the art of belonging somehow. So you always have to think about how can you give someone the feeling for belonging? So I think one thing is like rituals is really, it's a really great way, like weekly meetups, weekly coffee, uh, maybe even weekly, um, like a little counseling. If people have some problems, you know, not everything personal, but maybe with the product or, uh, feedback rounds people would love to do that and maybe then you can do some a little bit of co-creation is also also great so let's say you have your next launch and you want to give it a name right your your new token or whatever or your new nft sub nft and you just put up a vote or you do little subgroups and for example board apes always did a really great job for that so they created this little like story sub dao that's just writing stories right so you have this people that are that see themselves as writers so they belong even more to the community so they do a sub community this is also um a great way to grow it to really think about what are the people in my community what is, what is what are the values that the people have and what is the value that those people can bring to my project so if you have a really good community um you you also you will also get back a lot of value from your community and that's this is really the tipping point when you don't have to, you know, if the community is a little fire, you know, in the beginning you have to blow all the time, but then at a certain point it would just burn and it will burn even crazier than you ever thought before because it's um, just running on its own. And then that's always something you should aim for. Like, how can, how can I give my community 
the possibility to really create inside our world and how can i give them the feeling that they actually belong here and for the fighting i think it was great because i think people who love the ufc they have this feeling oh you know that's something that's because the ufc used to be kind of this niche product you know and i, I think i heard about dana white's story he's like no one wanted to host the ufc and we were kind of were the outlaws of martial arts now it's bigger you know it's it's pretty huge now but i think it has this like outlaw feeling to it and this oh we are different but we belong together and then they use this for the community and now they have their own fights fights and they have their own events and they also have their own like spokesperson so they have some influencers which used to be complete shitcoin influencers but now it's interesting because now they are they are kind of more in a traditional role as a like a fight promoter and one of them he's like a an ex i think he, he was it was a wrestler as well and now he's he's doing this like um I don't know no how it's called in English. Okay, moderation. Now, yeah, the moderation is like, <laughs> ready to fight, like this, uh, <laughs> shouting to the microphone. So, yeah, this was a long answer, but I think it's it's really about caring about your community and not caring about your community as a vehicle to pump your price. Because if you once enter this relationship, you know, it's, it's, it's really the wrong, it's over, yeah. Um. Yeah, that reminds me basically of sales right when people want you to succeed you succeed so yeah, if you 100%. have people yeah. that like your project like you as a person have that cozy atmosphere that you were talking about then they will promote your project for you <laughs> uh, that actually it actually reminds me of one one other thing it's i think it's super important to um, get your community to think about your wins as their wins. So if you release the new product, it has to be there or the new updates for, oh my God, you know, the new update is out and it's now we're even better. So that also really helps. Sometimes there's also something you can do, something some people might criticize it, but it works really well is to kind of build off the us versus them narrative. And this doesn't mean you have to create hate for another project, right? This could This could be... It's us versus the UFC now, and we are the better UFC because we actually pay our fighters or, you know, things like that. And it's like us versus the establishment because we are crypto and we try to be censorship resistant, you know, and we try to build something different. You can always use this narrative to kind of define what differs us from the group we are competing with, maybe. That also helps. Yeah, it's always about the vision, right? Um the emotions that you trigger as a person, as a project, right? The more yeah. people are drawn to that storytelling, as you, as you mentioned, the stronger, possibly also your price chart, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also your, your startup, let's call it that way. If you're serious about it, um, in that kind of sense. Um, I mean, the chart is uh, one last thing to add. The chart in the end is just an accumulation of the emotions of all participants towards your project. So I think most people miss that point. It's like, oh yeah, but we, we also have to focus on the price. But if you focus on people that value your project and that really are committed to your project, you, you, you can't have a problem with the price. Maybe if you sell all the time, then you can have a problem. But usually if you take care of a, of a real commitment by your community and long-term value, your price should be okay. Yeah, truly care basically yeah 
Um, yeah, we've talked now about things that would be awesome having in a project. What are some possibly red flags or things that you look for when you think of buying a shitcoin? Um, red flags. <laughs> so I think the first thing is um, it's also like a two-sided coin. So if the team is anonymous and they don't have a track record, that's yeah. That's already a thing where like, oh, you really have to, you really have to look closer. I don't have a problem with anonymous teams. They can be really, really good, but um, usually it's good if the the coin is launched and someone can vouch for the founder. Because sometimes you have, because the shitcoin. If you talk about shitcoins again, the shitcoin ecosystem, there are tons of coins, but usually a lot of the founders are connected. So most of the times they can say, oh no, we know this person. He launched another coin before, and uh, probably that's that's also that's a pretty good sign and um, then i look for if the liquidity is locked if the liquidity isn't locked i don't I don't buy that's basically a thing for me because uh, if people don't know it if you don't lock the liquidity liquidity you can basically rug pull the project and you know then your money is gone your money can also be gone with locked liquidity but it's a little <laughs> bit harder um, then if founders have sketchy past so i think in crypto there are many many examples of um People have a sketchy past and relaunching projects, and people trust them again, which also is crazy. So people mm -hmm. like I think uh, what is called uh, Zifu, or even like Do Kwon, you know, he mm -hmm. he already launched a failed stablecoin before, and it completely failed, and then he tried the same thing again. I mean, obviously, maybe sometimes you try and something innovative and it fails, it's so completely okay, but most of the times when I lost money, I was like, you know. It, I knew, I kind of knew it. it. It wasn't a complete, uh, um, yeah. Always some science basically, right? Yeah, so. it was, it was, there was some science always. Yeah. And then I would say over promising on a roadmap is also something to really look out for. So if you're, if you're just launching your coin and on the first day, it's like, and we create, you know, the, the best new decent, decentralized exchange and the new DeFi protocol and cross-chain and multi blah, 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 like things that just take time to develop. And you're like, okay, you don't, you only have a website, right? So, and yeah, so just looking at the website is also very helpful. It's little things. If, if the website just looks like someone did it in 10 minutes on Fiverr, you can tell like, is the design decent? How is the copywriting? Um, those are, and it's interesting because if you do this for some time, you get like a, a sixth sense for it. I would say in my like prime shitcoin times, <laughs> I could do 10 or 15 minutes of research and I can already tell for like 80% um, probability if this would be a rug puller. I would, I was very fast and I was right most of the time. So I was in shitcoins for a long time, but I haven't been rug pulled tons of times. So um, I think it, it also works over time. That's a good that, quality sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's there's not on my LinkedIn, but you know I'm very good at looking at shitcoins very fast and saying if they're up. Well. <laughs> that could um, be a business yeah, then, model. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but uh, then another thing I always look like when the coin is already launched to look at the distribution of top wallets. So if you see, you can also go on Etherscans and you click on top holders, and. If you see a lot of wallets with um, a lot of the supply unlocked, that's a really, really bad sign. Um, so usually if it's above like 2%, that's already a bit too high for me. But don't be like, sometimes there is another wallet of a burn wallet. So uh, don't go on the 
top holders and see a wallet that's 30% and go to Telegram and say, oh, it's a scam, you know, you have to look what, what, what what's the wallet because sometimes those are deployer wallets or um, they're somehow connected to some technical things in the project. But usually if you see a lot of wallets with high percentages and you can also look at the wallets and see their price, you know, so I, I would yeah. go to those wallets now and if, if I see those wallets and they bought at pre-sale, so they bought before uh, before the launch, basically, or very early in the launch, and their price is up like 100x, that's a red flag. Uh, you have to be very careful about that. Um, if you look at bigger projects, um, so if you don't just talk about shit coins, but maybe like Please, something yeah. in between, something in between, you know, some, <laughs> some coins, they, they are still shit coins, but they have big VC backings. And um, if I see those coins, I usually go to Messari. It's a great research site. And you can look at uh, the token release schedule. So mm -hmm. I, what I look for is uh, it's like dilution. What dilution means, you know, it's more and more coins can be unlocked over time. And if those coins are unlocked and they are up on a crazy markup, they will add um, selling pressure to the project. So it's really, really important to know what is the um, how does the to token dilution look like over time? If you just plan for a short trade, and it's okay. But if you plan on holding something, and you know that over the last, uh, the next couple of months, the, a lot of tokens will come onto the market, and they have a way lower price point than you have. So it's the VCs are incentivized to, to basically sell very fast. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> and maybe like one last thing is, look for like really coordinated uh, marketing on crypto twitter because if you see this and this is your trigger to buy you're usually very late mm -hmm. because those marketing efforts that they, they are paid and most most of the times those people have a lot of tokens and if you just buy because 10 people at the same time shill the same coin be very careful better better wait for a dump because usually then it will dump on you because mm -hmm. those people will dump and yeah that's uh, another thing I would just watch out for. And yeah, it's, it's funny because I would say bad marketing and really good marketing are red flags sometimes. <laughs> because if the marketing is really bad for a token, um, sure. it's sometimes very hard for the price to, to go somewhere because they basically expect people to understand the project and the fundamentals. And to be honest, we're still in a market where fundamentals, they do matter. They especially matter over time, but you still need marketing a hundred percent without marketing. Um, yeah. even Bitcoin, when people say, oh, Bitcoin never had marketing. Like that's so stupid. Bitcoin had the best marketing ever because people are like Bitcoin maximalists and they do the marketing for Bitcoin, you know? So, but they are like millions of people doing marketing for Bitcoin on their own. It's like decentralized marketing basically for Bitcoin. And uh, if the marketing is too good and it's too shiny and too flashy, then it's also for me, it's a reason to really look into the project and see, is this really something substantial or is this basically built on, on hype and smokes and mirrors? Yeah, usually you see it on the price chart anyway, right? If all of yeah. the influencers are posting and you have a yeah. big green candle, then it's again, usually not the best idea to buy, uh, to buy right now, but to wait until that cool off and then to see if they're able to catch up again, right? To actually do something yeah. with it. But it's so hard for most people. It's so hard to buy a red candle. 
And I think that's something you really have to learn, right? For me, it was the same thing. So humans are like, in the end, it's like hurt behavior. And if you see something going up, you feel like, oh, it's amazing. I'm excited. I want to be part of it. But if you, if you see it going down, it's so connected to emotions that you really have to learn. Yeah. You really have to learn, oh, that's something good if prices are depressed right now. Like maybe if, if we would have talked last year the same time and um, you would ask me, no, what are you excited about for the future opportunities to buy? And I would be like, oh, if, if ETH, you know, goes below a thousand again, that would be amazing. You know, it would be the best day. But once ETH came back down to under a thousand, I felt like, oh my God, it's going to fucking 400. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I executed on my plan. I'm not saying that ETH has bottoms, but I think it's really important to 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 work on your psychology, to to work on a plan if you want to buy stuff. Because w- once those prices come, they will feel completely different. It's like making a contract with your your future self and trusting your current self, um, kind of more. So to explain that, so today, I I would maybe think, okay, I would buy. ETH if it goes to 600, 100%. So right now I don't have the emotions of seeing the chart with a red candle, you know? So once mm-hmm. I once ETH would maybe hit 600, maybe it doesn't, but let's say it goes to 600, you have this huge red candle and you have some narrative, right? So maybe something happens in the world. I don't know what, what could happen. Something bad happens and you know, you're like, oh my God, I can't buy now because you know, this bad thing happened. But then you have to trust your, yourself from the past, like someone who made a, a plan with a relaxed state of mind. Because in the situation, you will be like your cortisol, like all the stress hormones that will come up and they will, like you, the thoughts yeah. will tell you to not buy. So it's really important to trust the person who made the plan and not the person sitting in front of the computer looking at a bad chart. Um, yeah, that also reminds me of the, how do you say, the, if you are in loss, you tend to not sell, right? Um, or many people are so hurt by their emotions. Oh, well, uh, I'm $200 uh, in decline. I, I made a loss of $200. But in general, most people or many people then just wait until it's basically a 99 or 80% loss or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and then they so. sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hey. Ole, really, I enjoyed the discussion with you. Do you maybe have three key takeaways you want people to remember from this awesome session? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think first of all, it's very boring, but manage your risk. If you invest in something, never take a big percentage, especially if you play higher risk plays. Um, you can you can have a crazy upside. So if you risk maybe two percent of your capital, or maybe if you go really crazy and you risk like three or 4%. If this thing goes 100x, right, it will be bigger than your portfolio by like a big amount. So manage your risk. And if you manage your risk, it's also really important to prepare for the worst outcome. And the worst outcome is usually at least 50% worse than you think. So think about the worst thing and put out 50% on top, then you're probably around a good level. That's number one. Um, then number two would be um, don't buy for adoption yet. Don't hold for adoption yet. Crypto is still 99% marketing for me and maybe 1% is the true fundamental value and those would shift over time. 
So always be aware about the hype cycles. If something has a huge hype and you are in profit, always sell some, always take some profit. Never be in the mindset, oh, but this thing is going to change the world. This is going to be the Amazon of crypto or whatever. The chances that you will pick a multi-cycle winner are very, very, very low. And I would say the same thing about myself. Besides uh, Bitcoin and ETH, I don't hold anything long-term. So always remember that. And then one thing which is also people always help me, hate me for is always hold some cash. You know, don't listen to the cash is trash crowd. I mean, now you can see why it's important. So I always, um, I keep at least 30% of cash. And when I talk about cash, I talk about stable coins. So something like USDC, I think is uh, or USD. pretty safe. USD. UST, no, oh man, I had some UST, but let's not really? talk oh about that. Oh, yeah, but I, I, I sold it for not one cent. So for okay. I sold it for still higher, but yeah. Still bad enough. Okay, so keep some cash. Um, you can keep it lower in bull times, but it's also good to have at least 30% cash in bull times. If you have a, a big dip, it, it's better for your psychology to have some cash. And in bull times, build up your cash position. Don't, don't use your profits and buy other shit cuts because at some point there will be a tipping point and you will give back a lot of your profits. So I, I sometimes call it to build up your like profit bank. Think about like a savings account. If you make money in a bull times, just put it there for the bear times. So you can just always have enough cash. Um, and then one last thing I would maybe say, don't mistake luck for skill. And I, I, I would just tell this to myself. If you made a lot of money in the bull market, it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it means you're a good picker. It could be true. Maybe you have some alpha, maybe you have some skills, but the true skill will show in a bear market. And the true skill is to keep your money and not to make it. In a bull market, every idiot will make some money. So really, um, yeah, if I, if I can maybe inspire someone to really focus on how to invest over time and also to how to work on your psychology and um yeah basically how to to keep your money and what i said before like to always take profit into cash at least some if you take profit maybe take 50 percent into ethereum and 50 percent into a stable coin or 30 percent and just put it away for the next cycle because the next cycle will come and the next downturn will come yeah um, there's even a say a multiple sayings for that right don't fucking lose money so yeah basically uh, yeah it's warren yeah. buffett right yeah <laughs> <laughs> rule number one don't lose money number two don't lose money number yeah. three <laughs> you can guess <laughs> love it hey um thanks ola for for being on the show uh really was an awesome discussion and yeah if there are any questions from the audience drop them below i will also put uh OLS links, podcast, and everything into the video description just for your reference if you're interested uh, to look further into his projects. And yeah, thanks everyone for yeah, having me. Was a lot of fun. Thank you. Indeed. Wave Act, the web free software company that understands what you want.